and welcome back to another edition of The Daily Disruptor, where we decode the world's most disruptive events, what they mean for you, your wallet, and the choices you make every day. I'm your host, Adam Brunette, and with me, as always, Mr. Ephraim Hoffman, the CEO and president of Running Alpha. Today, we have a very exciting episode in store for you. We're going to be talking about cryptocurrency. Now, Bitcoin is going through a halving process, and this spells opportunity. Ephraim is going to go in depth as to why this is so special, how you can take advantage, and things to look out for. If crypto isn't your cup of tea, you can still partake in the excitement via stocks of tech companies involved in the computing power and hardware necessary to make the world of crypto run. And towards the end of today's podcast, we clarify a couple things surrounding the COVID pandemic. So certainly stay tuned for that. Enjoy. Anyways, okay. So let's let's start right now. Okay. So have you have you traded with cryptocurrency before? Yes. Okay. I have. And you're noticing that there's going to be a couple breakout players within the next few weeks or months. This is going to be something that's going to persist for several weeks to a few months for where the big potential opportunity is open. And there's a real fundamental reason behind it. People have recommended certain coins and how do I buy them? Because they try to go to their, you know, exchange. And what they find out at the end of the day is that some of the exchanges don't have certain coins available and they end up like having to set up many, many accounts at different exchanges and it becomes very cumbersome. Mm -hmm. So, which is part of the reason why, you know, Bitcoin has not been democratized, why it went through kind of periods of being in favor and then falling to pieces. If you take a look at the history, there were a couple of times um, back in the past, like in 2012 and 2016, you know, going into uh, that extreme high in, in, in 2017 before the, uh, the winter or the crash that happened in, in Bitcoin and related alternative currencies. And what happens is every four years, there's a halving in the supply of Bitcoin and some other coins because they, these coins have a limited, there's only a limited amount of coin available, mm -hmm. like from the outset, for example, in Bitcoin, but not all of the coins have been minted. So there, there's still a lot of coins that could be minted when people start mining, Bitcoin mining. So when a transaction takes place, the people that provide the computing power in order to verify the blocks in the blockchain of the Bitcoin, they get paid a certain amount of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Every four years, the amount of coin they get paid decreases in half. And that event is happening around May the 12th this year. Mm -hmm. So, and it happened in 2016, it happened in 2012. So if you really look at the times where the most amount of money uh, was made in Bitcoin and alternative currencies, it was made following the halving event. Sometimes it happens a bit earlier because markets try to anticipate. But this year, you know, a lot of people were anticipating that, you know, Bitcoin would have gone a lot higher 
and the alternative coins would have gone a lot higher well in advance once they knew that May was approaching and there was going to be a halving. What happens is, like anything else, once you see a trend in something happening, the trend changes because people, these are emergent systems and they change their form based on how people uh, have noticed a trend in the past. And if everyone knows something, it usually doesn't work. It usually works when only a few know something and then the crowd starts following and then you start getting those big moves. But when everybody's on the same side of the trade, there's nobody to take the other side and there really was no you know, real demand until just recently because you know we're getting awfully close to the 12th. So now there's kind of like, okay, Bitcoin and some of the coins have stabilized. You know, there's, you know, let's not miss out on this big event. Now, the thing is, there are so many coins that are going to underperform and just do terribly uh, during this event. And I scoured the universe and there are a number of coins. Those specific coins are going to be made available to our premium subscribers. But I could tell you right now, just knowing the date and, and, and knowing that more important than the date, but knowing that the the sentiment structure of how people are going to be perceiving positive information going forward over the next several weeks to to couple months is going to be very favorable. So when those conditions combine with the fact that there's a fundamental event happening, like the halving of the supply that's going to be given to people when they actually mine the coins, then that is a a recipe for a dramatic increase well, a dramatic decrease in supply, but also a dramatic increase in the number of eyeballs and people that are going to be paying attention to it. Now, Mm -hmm. now, in terms of the demand, on the demand side, because the best thing is, I mean, yes, prices go up. If demand stays flat and, and, and supply goes down, then yes, you tend to have an increase in prices. It's really impactful if you could have a supply of new uh, coins minted go, go down while at the same time, demand for cryptocurrency is going up. So the question is, where is this demand coming from? And what makes this halving event even more interesting than the last two ones that happened four years ago and then four years before that? And there'll be another event in 2024. Uh, But a number of people have mentioned that they don't believe that event in 2024 could be as dramatic as now. And that, of course, makes sense because whenever you're in an emerging market, and I'm not talking about an emerging economy, but an emerging new class market like blockchain technology and crypto coins, you tend to have fewer people adopting it. And when fewer people adopt it, there's a very small market. And as people start noticing that there's money to be made and that there's a persistent trend in it, Regardless of whether it, the trend should be there for good reasons or not, whether the trend is driven by you know, insanity in terms of movement or whether it's driven by pure fundamental factors. And I would say it's about half and half, depending on which projects and which coins you get involved in. But at the end of the day, traders are trying to catch the next wave. Nothing's better than analyzing that uh, than looking at at supply and demand. So we talked about the supply. Where's the demand coming from? It's coming from the fact that a lot of the big hedge fund managers um, in some of the uh, major places around the world, like uh, 
Switzerland and even some of like the big wigs like uh, Renaissance Technologies have recently been not just talking about, you know, making a big bets in that area because it's now grown to a level. And not, we're not talking about the coins have grown to a level because we know the coins have recently crashed during the winter from uh, 2018 to just recently when this uh, news of the halving was going to take place. Uh, it's because there was no viable institutional prime brokerage firms that had the ability to safely store the coins and have the ability to very quickly have access to multiple coins without having the to use many, many applications and many, many different exchanges, which becomes very cumbersome. And when it comes to trading, especially for some of these big hedge funds, for it to be viable to them, they need to know that they have the security. Uh, they need to know that there's some kind of regulatory structure that's in place at these prime brokers and that there's an ability to execute those trades quickly. And those things have come into play. Um, one of the big players in the space that really changed the game in the prime broker space and cryptocurrency for hedge fund managers is Tagomi. And also Coinstats is also changing the game for combining multiple wallets into one place so that, that people could actually trade if they have already had multiple accounts. It could combine all of them together and it could also allow them immediate execution to multiple exchanges. So it, it makes it very easy for somebody that doesn't know a lot or doesn't have the time to actually um, set up hundreds of a different accounts to get access to some of these esoteric coins that have lots of potential. Uh, they can now just set it up with one player and then connect to everything. Sometimes there's a couple coins you just can't get access to, but then in that case, uh, you know, there's easy ways to just join a, an exchange. So you may only need one or two additional exchanges if you want to get like to the extreme end. But I think a lot of these coins that are viable going forward would be captured through uh, Tagomi and uh, Coinstats. And because of that, these hedge fund managers are, you know, are running hundreds of billions of dollars and they're launching funds initially in the hundreds of millions. And because the size of the crypto market is only, you know, a few hundred billion in total, and because a lot of these smaller coins that have potential that haven't been noticed have floats of only, let's say, five or $20 million, you could just imagine if a hundred different hedge funds that are now getting involved in this space, or even more, are going to be putting in potentially hundreds of millions of dollars each across this universe. The likelihood is that they've already positioned themselves uh, and placed their bets because they're aware there's an increase in demand and that there's going to be a decrease in the supply of new coins. Some people are sending the wrong message when it comes to supply. You'll hear some people uh, you know, say that the supply of coins have halved. And that's totally not true. The whole reason why they're decreasing the supply of new coins that are mined is so that we don't get to the situation where we use up all the available coins that could be traded in Bitcoin. So in reality, every time somebody trades Bitcoin, the supply is actually increasing. But because the demand is, is increasing faster than the amount of the 
new supply that's minted, it creates a price movement to the upside or a bias to the upside. That does not mean that the price cannot go down. If, you know, if other factors fundamentally were to change or if something was to change in the global macro space of the economy where people had to sell their Bitcoin in order to cover their losses in a market crash in another area, there could be other reasons for selling coins outside of the viability of the coin itself. There are situations right now in the world where I'm sure people own Bitcoin, you know, have suffered tremendous losses in certain parts of the world during the crash. And some people may have sold their Bitcoin in order to cover their losses. But my guess is that the majority of the people that got into trouble um, in the market are probably people that don't have enough money. In that case, the people that do have enough wouldn't have to sell their Bitcoin if they knew that the opportunity costs of selling it, uh, if, it if it wouldn't make sense selling it, considering that it's a better opportunity than what's available in some other markets. And usually these hardcore kind of players that are um, involved in, uh, in Bitcoin that really believe in it and its future, or at least believe that there's going to be a huge move in the intermediate term, uh, they're unlikely to be net big sellers. So you, you, you tend to have a situation where a lot of people that um, have suffered massive losses have held the coins through the losses. And now they're actually waiting to ride it up. So it, obviously new money that comes in now would be, you know, would be considered smart money because they're buying at the relative lows as opposed to a lot of people that have rid, you know, the market down since uh, the uh, January 2018. So I believe we're going into something that's called the altcoin season. A lot of people have dismissed the fact that it's not a season anymore. It's like a window because it kind of opens up and then it closes as soon as you notice it. And unless you're a very fast day trader, that may have been the case uh, over the past, you know, since uh, January uh, 2018 as the market crashed. But now that we're entering a new environment, uh, I believe that whatever people has perceived as the trend of an alt window is going to go back to an alt season. I think we're going into a, the summer solstice for <laughs> we're going to be coming in there over the next couple months for some of these coins. So I don't want anyone to just go out there and buy any coin, but I want you to pay attention. What I would suggest that you do is look at the ratio of different coins that you like relative to Bitcoin and see which ones tend to be, not which ones have outperformed in the past, because that's backward looking, but use your analytics, because a lot of people are traders, use your analytics and, and, and see um, how they are likely going to outperform or underperform Bitcoin in the future and stick to the ones from a trading perspective that look like they're going to outperform uh, in the future. So I, I do believe that in, in the month of May and June, this, some of these coins will wake up dramatically. I wouldn't be surprised that there are moves of a thousand percent or more. And if people trade around the volatility, wouldn't be surprised that they can make thousand times their money, you know, over the next, over the next year. But you've got to be a sophisticated trader to do that. And you'd have to know the right coins. I would say on a conservative basis, uh, you know, if you can't make a three or 400% return, this season that's upcoming, then you're probably looking at the wrong coin. And even probably the worst of the good coins are going to like at least, you know, go up a, 
a couple hundred percent. And then of course more if you trade around it. But so that's kind of what I see. That's my reasoning behind uh, why I believe there's going to be a big move in, uh, in that space. And there are some companies like people that, you know, are let's say more conservative or don't necessarily, you know, want to get involved in setting up a, uh, a Bitcoin account. And you've got to be very careful setting up a Bitcoin account because there have been some people that have transferred money from their bank accounts into some of these exchange accounts for Bitcoin. And then their whole account is, is frozen and they're not able to do banking. <laughs> and, and part of the reason is because the regulatory industry hasn't caught up with some of these exchanges. And even though the exchanges are legitimate and they may be uh, regulated or, or the prime brokers may be regulated, the banks don't know that and they haven't updated their system. So they just assume everybody is no good. That's not true with every bank, but that's true with a number of them. So there are ways, the best way to go around it is to talk to your bank, let them know exactly what you're trying to do. The other way is there are cards that you could buy. You could actually purchase a card uh, and put a certain amount of money on it and then use that card to buy the Bitcoin and convert your your fiat currency or US dollars or Canadian dollars or Aussie dollars, whatever, into, into Bitcoin and then convert it to another, another alternative coin. But because there's been advances recently, some places allow you to just go directly from fiat to any coin you want. But if you're still using the old model of multiple uh, you know, exchanges and multiple brokers, you may not be able to easily just get any coin you want without first buying one coin and then them charging you some kind of fee and then getting another coin. So it really matters. Your cost could really go down by going to you know, the right groups. In Canada, CoinSquare is, is a go-to place just in terms of uh, you know, regulatory. They've been around for a while and they're quite well known. And obviously in the States, one of the big ones, Coinbase. I would say you're a really big player and you have a lot of capital, I would talk to, to Gomi because they're very professional. And I, I would also um, look into coin stats as, <clears throat> as a possibility, but also um, one of the big players that I really liked a lot, and they've been around for quite a while, is Binance. They have a lot of coins on their system. It integrates well with uh, coin stats, and they're just extremely efficient. That's what I would do if you were setting up an account. Those are the important things. But what I was trying to get at a little bit earlier is that if you don't want to set up a cryptocurrency account, but want to take advantage of equity opportunities where you could just access through your your own stock brokerage account, there are some equity names that are going to basically, they're not necessarily pure plays for the growth of crypto, but they do, they are technology companies fintech companies that benefit from the ultimate adoption of uh, digital currencies as one of the big names in tech. And I just want you just want everyone to be aware that there's going to be a bout of volatility going through um, the market. It won't affect every stock, but it will affect a lot of them. And that volatility could be exaggerated between now and the middle of June. So just beware any of the names that I'm mentioning right now could be subject to volatility then, but after that and in the intermediate term to longer term, they look phenomenal as an investment. 
So I'm not saying they're going down short term. I'm saying that you'd have to be a trader and know when and what time of the day to trade them in a, in a market where there's going to be volatility into June the 15th. And this is a service that, you know, I do provide uh, as a premium for premium uh, traders. But if you're just, you know, taking these names off this podcast and just going to buy them tomorrow morning, just beware that if you're not a trader and you don't know where to get in, you could suffer some volatility in the short term, but I see way higher prices down the road. So I don't see it as a, as a bad investment. And the names are NVIDIA. And the reason why NVIDIA, even though it's known as a, you know providing um, the chip technology that's used in a lot of the gaming, it also provides the horsepower and processing power to conduct the complicated mathematical operations that's necessary in order to validate the blocks in the blockchain of all these cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so the symbol is NVDA. Yeah, right now it's sitting at about 291.29. Just looking at this long-term, it's looking to me that after August, uh, like even though the, the, the big volatility, whatever volatility is big, whatever stocks, if there is some big volatility that comes in, even though after June 15th that clears, but especially after the beginning of August, like around after August 3rd, and it doesn't mean exactly that date. It just means as an investor in general, focus in that time period, you'll waste less time. You'll see more activity. And the whole idea of, uh, you know, of, of trading is not, it's not just like, there's a difference between trading and investing. Investing is you buy something and it's kind of like, uh, you know, that saying, set it and forget it kind of thing but you don't forget it forever. You forget it. And then until you get to the end of a window, I always provide those windows on these market calls so that if you do decide to set it, you could kind of then come back on a certain date and then, you know, focus on looking at it. You won't optimize your gains as a trader. As a trader, I like looking at opportunities where you maximize uh, the lifetime advantage of your edge, kind of at each and every point along, along the window to the end of the, uh, the trading interval. NVIDIA really looks very interesting beyond August 3rd. Basically, I'm expecting that, I'm, you know, I'll be looking at my trading screens, you know, in that period after the third, and then looking for lots of uh, trading opportunities setting up for substantially higher highs. I do believe from an investment point of view, as we progress into the back half of the year, following this bout of volatility in the markets until June 15th and really ramping up after um, the first week of uh, August, mm-hmm. I, I would expect the, the next push up in NVIDIA as an investment would be <laughs> quite substantial. Uh, we're talking about, I'd say about $580 to $600 target for NVIDIA. And if you even take a look at when the market crashed uh, back, uh, like the low on March 17th, just imagine investors that would have bought, like, you know, any investor that bought up at $316 in those days near February 20th, uh, yeah, they would have gone down quite a bit in the short term. But then look where we are. We're almost back to the highs. And the reality is this is just a bunch of noise. So regardless of whether the market decided, hey, whether the market decided to correct and come back down to 215 bucks if there was another meltdown or whether it tests the low, 
all of that becomes pretty much irrelevant once you pass through the back, you know, once you pass through August into the back half of the year and continue on into next year, I can make a case that people will just see that as a little blip and it'll just be another massive high. And this is a way, a nice, nice way to play gaming technology because so many people are in their house, houses playing games. So many people right now are in their houses needing new computers in order to process all the information. And, uh, you know, there a lot of these things are using NVIDIA processors. So there's demand there in corporate America. You've got also got the demand and the real big demand coming in in terms of uh, all the chip technology that needs to be powered and all this, like the internet of everything and all these smart connected devices and uh, companies like Amazon and that are all trying to basically sell product to the world. And in order to do that, you require massive amounts of like, uh, you know, computing technology and computing power. And NVIDIA is the hardware that's driving that power, but it's also the hardware that's driving the power necessary in order to mine Bitcoin. So you're getting the advantage of multiple industries, this huge ecosystem all coming together and all converging on NVIDIA, where you don't have that many companies that, you know, that are doing that kind of thing. So that's one nice way of getting deep and diverse portfolio exposure to the technology industry and to disruptive cha uh, changes that are happening in the world today and for the foreseeable future. So yeah, I love NVIDIA, NVDA, and uh, look forward to... Uh, to trading the heck out of this thing and and then just holding a core position for quite some time and then just trading pieces of it and taking profit along the way. So that would be my uh, favorite name in, in the tech space for getting involved in uh, the long-term trend of crypto assets without being directly involved in the coins themselves if you don't like the volatility of those coins. Uh, and the other names, there's two other names I'll mention, uh, I'm not going to mention the two other names, partly because uh, that would be unfair to some of our uh, subscribers. But what I will mention is that exchanges that are likely going to be trading Bitcoin or are trading Bitcoin are going to perform exceptionally well down the line. They have had a huge run, you know, in the last cycle. They, do, they are involved in many other things other than Bitcoin itself. You're unlikely going to uh, move the needle just because of what's happening in Bitcoin. But some of these ex futures exchanges that actually are going to be trading the coin, I can make the case that, yes, they're going to be very volatile right now. And they're not necessarily, uh, you know, as a trade, it's not really on my radar. But as an investment, I can make the case that you know, sometime in, in 2021, they're going to wake up into a, a major bull market. So the, the, the reality is, no matter what happens to this market over the next, you know, year and a half with Corona, there's always going to be opportunity coming out of it afterwards. And the nice thing about exchanges is they make money, whether people sell or buy. And they also make money when new products are introduced to the market. So it could just be that when the, if the market goes through an extended period of volatility, some products will fail. And if they leave the market, they're getting, you know, potentially uh, making potentially less money. But as new products come into the market and demand starts picking up, 
then I believe their business model is, is pretty secure on some of these uh, future exchanges, especially some of the leading ones. But right now, let's just uh, say NVIDIA is the one that we're really having our eye on in, in, for the back half of the year and to outperform on any major uh, kind of updates. That's what I see. So, and there is, there is a couple other names that are directly, like are almost pure place in it, but I'm reserving that for the private clients. But just, alone, just the NVIDIA alone is, is a gem. Let, let, me, let me tell you that. So uh, the last thing I just want to touch on other than uh, the crypto space, and this is going to be really, really short, just be done in a couple minutes here, is um, I was just hearing in the news that uh, some people are saying, oh, the coronavirus is unlikely, you know, going to go away in the summertime because uh, in, in different parts of the world where it's been hot, uh, it didn't go away. Well, that is not a controlled test. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm saying the number one thing that affects coronavirus is basically the mobility of people being near each other and not wearing masks. So that's number one. So no climate is going to be able to stop that if people do that. But if people are following or trying their best to follow the, the protocol in order to stop the spread, then in that situation, until there's a vaccine, there's still going to be spread because you can't stop it completely because no, you know, no person is going to be using the mask and social distancing at every time completely properly or will have even access to the mask that could provide complete protection. So in those situations, which environments and kind of weather conditions based on research so far, and this is obviously an evolving thing, but so far, uh, what does it indicate with respect to the weather? And it indicates that most viruses historically below, you know, somewhere between seven and 18 degrees or 90% of the viruses, that's when they really love, uh, you know, acting up. The thing is um, with this specific virus, it tends to temperatures much higher than that tend to be ones uh, where it's less, let's put it this way, the effect would be less if temperatures are much, much higher than 17 or 18 degrees Celsius. And the reason for that, there's a scientific reason behind it, is that uh, in the summertime, basically, what do you, okay, what do you think is going to happen in the summertime? In the summertime, you're going to have a lot of these particles, let's say in the air, and warm air is able to hold more moisture. So basically, they will evaporate into the air in, in the summertime, and gravity won't be able to drag it down to earth and, uh, you know, in order for people to actually um, get as much of the spread. But in the, in the wintertime, or when it's colder than 18 degrees, the humidity isn't as high, and, and it's drier. Basically, these particles are not evaporating, but gravity is dragging down these heavier particles and they are going to land on people. So there, there's a case where, you know, you could show through just basic science and logic that it would have a greater impact. But at the end of the day, it's what people do that's going to matter. So if people are just going to say, oh, it's not going to affect, I'll just go to a hot climate. Good luck. Because if you don't wear a mask and you don't social distance, you're going to end up in the hospital uh, or a good number of people will. And that's just not, not the right thing to do. So wear a mask, social distance uh, when you can. And that's, uh, yeah, so that's pretty much uh, 
what I wanted to talk about uh, today. Hey guys, thanks for listening. So this podcast is for information purposes only. It's not intended to be investment advice. Seek a duly licensed professional for actual investment advice.